in and you're out. Welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business featuring Keith D, a presentation of Osage Advisors. Hello again, everyone. This is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. Once again, alongside Keith D of Osage Advisors on the ins and outs of selling a business. So in our maiden voyage last time, we talked about the sort of initial questions right at the beginning of the process for people that are considering selling their business. And now we're going to get into a little bit more details of what questions that one should be asking oneself before selling the business. And I can imagine in this process, Keith, it can be harrowing. It can be daunting to think about all the numbers you have to get together, all the considerations in your head. Tell us how initially you uh, work with clients to kind of settle them down and get them focused on what they, the questions they really should be asking. Thanks, Dave. Great seeing you again. It is. It's a. It can be a daunting process. So you know, owners need to sit down and reflect a bit on some key areas that are going to be crucial to the sales process. You want to be clear, concise, and you want to reduce the skepticism from the buyer pool because there's an inverse relationship. The more they have confidence in your answers or how you think set up, the greater the value. The less confidence they are in that. The, the less value. So you want to make sure you're prepared fully to answer these questions clearly, concisely, the best of your knowledge, truthfully, totally transparency mm. with the buyer pool so you can maximize value on your exit. And, you know, there's there's several areas that to deal with, and we're not going to cover all of them today, but, you know, key areas that we look at, you know, the first thing is, you know, it's the human piece, the human capital piece, your people. You know, is my management team ready to step in to fill my shoes? Have I developed a strong management team from operations perspective, from a financial perspective, from a, most importantly, a sales perspective? The buyers want to know who owns the customer relationship. That's a key factor. Mm-hmm. And if you own the relationship on the customers, you need to feel that you're going to be with the business post-closing for a while because they're not going to. They're not going to want to pay you for the company you let you walk away. But if you have a strong sales team in place and and systems in place backing up that sales team, that's going to give them a higher level of comfort that when you transition out, however you decide to transition out, that the business will continue to grow under new leadership. Is that, Keith, purely empirical? In other words, when you prepare the information to show to a potential buyer about what the sales force is like, is it purely sales numbers? Or is it? does it also have to do with personnel? It, the numbers are great, right? Because if you're doing well and numbers are rising and year-over-year growth, uh, that's always a very motivating factor to, to buyers to, 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 to continue to pursue your business. But you know, the devil's in the details. Okay, how do you get those numbers? Who's driving those numbers? How do you track those numbers? What kind of profit are you making per product line? You know, what kind of, what kind of gross margins are you making by different divisions, sales mixes, et cetera, et cetera? So you can give a number out of $10 million one year and $12 million next year. But if you can't produce to a buyer of what's profitable, what your highest profit margin product line are, products are, or your or SKUs and the use an industry trade word, you know, they're going to start wondering, you know, what's happening, what's going to happen in the future. And so again, that widens that skepticism gap, which affects the value. 
Now, if you have a good sales team in place, you have good sales systems, administration, they call it, in place, you can produce history, not just history, but also your pipeline reports, your backlog reports, forecasting tools, uh, those type of things of great value. It also must be a matter of where the value truly lies. In other words, if the sales staff is marked by a couple of stars, I imagine the potential buyers have to wonder, we got to make sure that these stars stick around because otherwise what we just purchased is empty. Is there some of that dynamic as well that you work with clients on? Uh, yeah, look, the management team and, and, and the, the, the key people in the management team are essential to selling the company. Buyers will buy based on, you know, a multiple of your profits, adjusted profits, but they're not going to close a transaction until they lock down the management team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like who will stay, who will go, and how you can incentivize your key players to stay on post-closing. You know, and we're, we get involved in those conversations as much as our clients want us to. And some of the things we talk about are we call stay bonuses, incentive bonuses to stay on post-closing. For example, we have a client that we, he paid his general manager, his head of sales, and his controller exactly the same amount of money post-closing mm -hmm. to stay on for, you know, at least a year. And we always, when we get involved, we always talk to the, you know, because again, it's a family business and all of a sudden you're kind of orphaning the employees to a new, new parents, you know, and they don't know what they don't know. They may have worked there 20, 30 years and all of a sudden new ownership and that becomes a, uh, uh, unsettling. It's out of their comfort zone. And so we always, you know, we, when we talk to the team, it's like, you know, give it some time. You know, this is a good thing. You know, your owner, your, he or she could be retiring. They're uh, maybe in their 60s or 70s. And now you have a path forward for the success of this business you, could, you can contribute to and be part of. So those factors are, are key. And the ownership, you know, most of business owners we talk to, I should say most, almost all of them, are uh, not only willing to, but want to, you know, share in some of the success with these key people because they, they wouldn't have got there without them. I take it one of the other dynamics may be not just that the, the leadership team remains and you motivate them, but does it ever come up that you need to consider where the business is coming from? In other words, the clients of these stars, salespeople, is that ever explored? In other words, if there's a, you know, a, a steel manufacturer, concrete manufacturer, and the clients of this company are few, there are only a, a few that make up much of the business. It, it's, does that ever come up? That I, I don't know that a client would, ne would necessarily be care about an ownership change, but they may, right? So the buyers, the question comes up on every deal. And we do what we call a question and answer session. So, you know, we run a process and we, we put together a memorandum and we get it out there, but we have potential buyers submit questions to us after they talk to us, after the root material, before they even talk to our clients, you know, we don't let people in the door until we get initial, initial bids on, on their business. But the question that comes up every single time on every single deal we've ever done on the sales side is who holds the key relationships with the customers. Mm. And the answer to that question is going to drive who stays in regarding they continue to want to bid on the business and who decides they're going to walk away because they're not comfortable with that. Again, if you have an owner who has 
the head, he's the head of sales, the chief cook and bottle washer, so to speak. Mm. And he or she has been driving the sales since day one. And there's really no one behind them except maybe some very good, you know, uh, what I call, you know, customer service people. Mm. That's going to be a challenge. Now, you know, you get the deal done, but how it's structured, you know, it's going to be some work. And he or she's going to have to stay on a bit post-closing to transition that in a way that's comfortable, gets the buyer comfortable. And the other one, and in, in fact, is, is, you know, numbers are great, but, you know, where is it coming from, right? Mm. Uh, a key issue is the customer concentration. You know, many family close sale companies, especially in industries now that have been consolidated greatly, aerospace, right? I mean, you got, you got a half dozen customers, right? You got, uh, you got Lockheed Martin Sikorsky, you got UTC, you got Boeing, you got GE, you got Honeywell, you got a few other ones, and that's it. At that, that's the main core. So you have high customer concentration. So they want to know who holds that relationship with that customer. And you can have five salespeople that do $10 million a year, and you, but you have one account that does also $10 million a year. Mm. And that $10 million account, you, you've been handling yourself forever. That's 50% of your business. So that's going to be something that has to be worked through. So you really got to think about how am I going to transition or bring in the right people so I can delegate in a way that I'm comfortable with. So when that buyer comes to the table, I'm ready to sell. Oh, I got this team of salespeople, a head of sales, three salespeople. I got a couple of reps out there. We have a diverse customer base. I just oversee it. We have systems in place, but these people are the ones that are handling it. And I take it not just current sales, but the anticipation of future sales as well. In other words, the best salespeople may have a client base of 10 million. They may have a pipeline of another 5 million or even 10 million or something like that. Are those considered? Two questions always asked, even after, you know, when we're going, you know, how are sales? What's your backlog? Mm. Right. So you give them, you give them a book, you give them all the historical financials, you give them projection for one or two years, uh, maybe a forecast even a little bit farther, uh, depending on the business, but over and over and over again, how are sales? What's your backlog? How's it compared to last year? So we had a deal we worked on a few years ago and, uh, you know, their backlog, the sales were down a little bit for the prior year due to a couple of different factors, but their backlog was up 28%, 30% from the year earlier. Mm. So that got the buyer comfortable that, okay, okay, they had a little dip, but we're still not going to make any any changes to where we're at because, you know, we're comfortable. But almost to the day you close, how are sales? What's your backlog? What's the pipeline? Mm. Are asked and asked, asked and answered, you know, a half dozen times, if not more, throughout the process. And you need to have those numbers available to you at all times. Constantly monitor. The seller, if motivated, has probably got an eye on their financial statements and realize how critical it is to um, a deal. Let's face it, the potential buyer is going to most likely go use a fine-tooth comb to go through them. What are some of the tips you give your clients to prepare financials to make sure that everything's in order? We always ask our client who their accountant is, you know, who their attorney is, who their wealth manager is. But when it comes to the financial statements, obviously it's the CPA. And you know, what are the quality? Are they, are they compiled? Are they reviewed? Are they audited? Are they internal? Are they tax returns? All those things will factor into how people value. So if you have a reviewed or audited statement from a, a strong regional local firm or, or national firm, any of those firms, that's a, that's a, that's a big plus. 
if they're compiled with full disclosures, notes, the whole thing from, again, from a, from a good rep, rep, reputable firm, whether it's local, whether it's regional, whether it's national, that's great. If you have internal QuickBooks accounts, you know, we summarize, we spend a lot of time looking at financial, we summarize them up, but, you know, there is going to be a high level of skepticism from the buyers going in if they're not, their accounting firm doesn't do a lot of financial reporting for them. Mm. So they're going to look real deep during due diligence into those numbers. And you got to make sure, even if they are internal numbers, whether it's a, a bookkeeper, whether it's your controller, whether you decide to bring in a, a fractional CFO or part-time CFO to help you get ready to go to market, that you have everything properly recorded. The last thing you want to do is get into due diligence. And you say you have $2 million of profits and the offers based on that. And they do due diligence and they come in and determine that you have uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars of obsolete inventory on the books that was never reserved for or written off. And so the buyer comes back to you and say they're paying you, you know, two to six, eight multiple, whatever the number is, right? Let's use, let's use, uh, you know, 10 for now. So on a, on a $5 million business, right? So you're off a half million dollars in inventory. That's $5 million off the purchase price. And you just spent a lot of money on law lawyers, and accountants and consultants and environmental, whatever, getting ready to sell and your numbers are off mm. because you have inventory slow moving or obsolete that's been sitting in your, you know, you, 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 people love, right? You, you, you look over there. I'm going to sell that someday, right? It's like everybody, I'm always going to sell that, right? But a buyer doesn't look at it that way. Mm. If that stuff's been sitting there, you sell one or two pieces over, you know, over a year, anything more than a year, you don't really sell. They're not going to get you credit for that. So that's one example. Another example is maybe timing of how you record your your sales. Mm-hmm. And maybe you made them, you know, not intentionally, but a couple of sales got recorded that really didn't ship yet or they shipped afterwards or whatever. Again, you take them for every dollar that is reduced off the purchase price could be five or $10 in value. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure your financials have good, good clean cutoffs. They call them in a trade. They're in good shape, whether they're prepared by your accounting firm or internal before you go to market, make sure that you've done it. You've basically have done a stress test on your financial statements. It's critical. Let me draw a comparison here, Keith, and you can tell me whether it's appropriate or not. But when home buyers price a house and they go out and they try to find a, a house with the most palatable asking price, they may find that despite the fact that the the price is enticing, that the the home needs a new roof. Well, that's another twenty, thirty grand, or whatever it is. In like manner, in looking at a business. The business may look good on paper, but look a little deeper in the papers and you'll find that the, the, the some systems or some, some other infrastructure needs to be redone. I take it that's a huge consideration. Tell me about those kind of conversations with your clients. Yeah. So you're talking about, you know, capital improvements, CapEx spend. Mm-hmm. So when buyers look at, you know, I don't want to get too technical. When they look at their numbers, they look at the what they're willing to pay. But if you have a lot of deferred capital for example, you have a piece of equipment needs to be replaced, you know, maybe, and that's going to be a half million dollars because your equipment's worn out and it's time to change. They'll, they'll reflect that in the purchase price. Uh, even more today, what people don't pay attention to or paying a much, excuse me, much more attention to is your technology, right. infrastructure, you know, what systems you have in place, how, when's the last time you upgraded them, you know, and not just the reporting systems, but your operational systems, systems in place for cyber attacks, all types of things. You know, what, what do you have? So we had a deal a few years back where the buyer, one of the buyers 
we, we, there's not the ultimate buyer. We end up, so we, we, we end up uh, have a, actually looking to close soon, but one of the buyers backed out or significantly reduced their offer to us because they figured in order for them to, to integrate my client's systems into their systems, they would cost them a quarter million dollars, if not more. And they didn't really want to, not just in, in capital, but also on top of that was going to be a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to invest the additional time on integration on top of the systems. So having good, strong systems in place, upgraded you know, systems that are relatively uh, new, if not new, is critical, do as well ever, as capital improvements to your business. Do you ever have a situation where one of your clients might try to improve those systems and take care of it in advance of going to market with their business? In several cases. We have a client that, you know, in order to be competitive with certain product lines, had to upgrade their, their manufacturing. So we, what we sell to our clients is we say, run your business like you're not going to sell it. Don't make decisions that well, I'm not going to buy the piece of equipment because I'm selling my company. Don't run your company like it's never, like you're not going to sell it. If you were, and this is where we, we ended up having this conversation. It was a million dollar invest. I said, well, should I do this? Because if I sell the company. I said, buy the piece of equipment because we don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, we want to sell it. And then we can factor that new piece of equipment into our negotiations. But don't defer things because you think you're going to sell. Because at the end of the day, it's going to come back to you in a negative way, meaning that the buyer is going to look at that and they're going to affect it in your evaluation. Well, you've given the listeners here and likely people who are considering selling their business a lot to think about. And a lot of a lot of questions to address before you do this, but I take it in coming to you in this process, they can come early on because I take it you're going to be the ones to help them identify the questions that they need to ask. Yeah. So some of the clients that we, not some, but probably the majority of clients we work with, you know, we have initial discussions anywhere up to, you know, two years or more. And, you know, we, we sit, we chat with them and we talk about it. We develop, you know, look, it's, I get, we talked about this in the last episode. It's a, mm. it's an emotional sale for our, for our client, for all of our clients. That's what we, that's what we work with. We're, we're, we're been working with family close up business my whole career. And most of us in our firm has been working with family close business their whole careers as well. For most of our clients, you know, it's, it's an emotional sale and we're a relationship firm. We will work with clients once we initially meet with them. And use us as a resource mm-hmm. for certain things. And we'll talk about all those things we talked about today. You know, your financials, your infrastructure, uh, your sales, everything else. And, and give them examples as to things they should be thinking about. So the more they're prepared to go when they're ready to sell, the higher value they'll get for their business in the long run. And we're patient. Like I said, we're, you build that trust. Mm-hmm. Because for a very short period of time, you know, six to 12 months, we're going to be working 24-7 with our clients, understanding their goals and objectives, giving them a pool of buyers they can choose who to do the deal with that meets their goals and objectives. So we understand that these questions will come up and up and up, but we are prior to going to sale, we will work with them so they understand where the key factors are. So they could be prepared when they're ready to sell. Well, a lot to think about once again on the ins and outs of selling a business. And it's 
A reminder to all that professionals like Keith, of course, are the ones that help you sort out these issues. So, Keith, please remind our listeners how potential sellers can get in touch with you. The best way to get in touch with us is through our website, osageadvisors.com. That's O-S-A-G-E, advisors with an S.com. Or you can always uh, feel free to pick up the phone and contact me. My phone number is 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Thanks, Keith. Fantastic job as usual. If you would like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.